to Clamp, the weekly podcast where we discuss all things related to creating, living, and making projects. I'm your host, Grant Alexander, and joining me as always is Jesse Ratfink and Adam Mackey. And today, we're going to be talking about the accessibility of 3D printing. Yeah. So uh, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, For anyone that watches Survivor, this season, there has been a lot of drama about 3D printing, which is not something I expected to get from Survivor. So basically, there is a contestant on the show named Carson, who is just a beautiful little Harry Potter angel baby. I love him. Uh, But he... Basically, he downloaded, you know, files for puzzles, 3D printed them, and then he was able to, like, solve those puzzles on Survivor very quick. And the only reason he's able to do this is because Survivor reuses the same thing over and over and over, which I think is honestly a bigger problem than um, how accessible or easy it is to get into 3D printing. But there has been a lot of discussion online about it from people who are not, like, in the maker community that I have found really interesting. Um, There are definitely people out there that still think that 3D printing is something that costs thousands of dollars and is like not really available for consumers to buy. Uh, So yeah, I sort of wanted to talk about the different types of 3D printers and how easy it is to get into it. Uh, Favorite slicers, favorite software to design stuff, you know, all of that good stuff. Get really deep into 3D printers. So, yeah, speaking of that, what 3D printers do y'all have? We have the same printer, don't we? Mm-hmm. Into three. Are y'all Into the S1? Pro? Oh, no, the Pro. We, okay. Yeah, we, we're old school and cheap. Um, mm-hmm. We have, yeah, just the, the like, I, I, when I bought mine, you could get the Ender 3 and the Ender 3 Pro for the same price. And I just yeah. went, why would anyone buy the Ender 3? Like, yeah. When there's a pro and then there was like 17 other versions that made pro sound <laughs> bad. Like what? Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. I, their naming convention over at Ender or Creality was, is really uh, like nonsensical. It's about as like yeah. about as useful as BMW's naming convention where it used to like be the size of car. So three series, five series, seven series, each number got bigger, bigger car. And then the numbers afterwards for, for a very, very short period re- referenced the size of the engine. So if you had a 320, you had a two liter. If you had a 325, you had a 2.5 liter. Like mm-hmm. if you had a 535, you had a 3.5 liter engine. Easy. If you had an I, it was fuel injected. If you had a D, it was diesel. And that all got thrown out the window when they introduced turbos. Well, it got thrown out the window <laughs> way before that, but it really got screwed up when they introduced turbos because you could have the exact like three liter engine and a three liter engine and one produced twice as much power. So that's an aside. So the three at 330 and the 335 were not, one wasn't a 3.5 liter. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> back, back to 3D printers. Yeah, so I I also have a kind of a cheaper one. I have the Creality Ender V2, but I've done like a bunch of upgrades to it, uh, which is something oh. that we can talk about here in a second. Um, because the next sort of topic I wanted to move on to is what are the biggest hurdles when it comes to 3D printing? And for me, I think that's cost and then knowledge. Is there anything else that y'all can think of that might like, prevent people from getting into 3d printing 
my my biggest issue I've ever had with 3D printing was actually getting the printer to work right. Like they mm. sh- they're supposed to work out of the box, but they never do. I've yeah. been I've had a lot of trouble <laughs> with mine. I know some people are lucky and they have no trouble at all, but I've had a lot of issues with mine. Um, a lot of it was probably myself doing the wrong thing or buying cheap parts. Like I did a, I replaced the hot end with a cheap one off eBay and that failed miserably. And um, I bought a cheap BL touch, like an off-brand one. It didn't work at all. And I kept telling, I didn't tell myself that it was an issue with the pot, with the, what I was buying. It was an issue with the printer. As soon as I upgraded and bought the proper brands of everything, it all worked flawlessly. Yeah. So I would say the biggest hurdle that it hasn't been mentioned yet is misinformation online. Yeah. That's fair. Right? Like (laughs) people send you down like complete, like there are people out there who go, enders are garbage or complete garbage, never buy one. And it's like, because they had the same issues that Adam had, like they didn't, Mm -hmm. they didn't build it right. They didn't do the thing. Like I can get, when I built it, the first time I put it together and I have extensive experience building things from the hobby industry and building models and like following instructions, wrote instructions. Like I did an entire course on instructions. So I tend to be pretty good at it. Uh, I built it wrong because the instructions were garbage. Mm. <laughs> right, but then I put it together and I looked at it and I went, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. Yeah, I had a similar issue with mine. I think it took like a week to build the damn thing because everything went wrong. It was just, yeah, it was the most frustrating experience. Like, I don't think it's ever been that hard <laughs> to make something <laughs> for me, but I, I rebuilt it, I think, four times before oh, it wow. actually started working properly. I was about to like throw in the towel and try another brand of 3D printer. It was, yeah. Thanks, Creality. <laughs> <laughs> so I could definitely, if you have no experience at all and you have limited even making experience and you're thinking about getting a 3D printer and if you don't want to uh, tinker, don't get an ender. Like just don't. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so I basically sort of divided printers into two categories in my mind, which is like lower cost and DIY where they come in kits and then the higher costs where it's, you know, it comes to you fully assembled. It costs a shit ton. Like they're normally over a thousand and they come, you know, with like a complete enclosure and everything is a little bit easier. Like I was honestly considering going that way after fighting with my under three for so Mm. long, um, but decided to just stick it out because I wasn't sure that 3D printing was something I was going to do all the time. And I think I would have felt guilty buying like a $1,200 printer if I didn't use it a lot. So yeah, the under just made more sense to me at the time. Uh, But yeah, I... (laughs) With all this shit that Enders get, I still think they're kind of the the gold standard, if you will, for like DIY printer kits, just because they are so moddable and there are so many accessories that are, you know, compatible with them. So like for me, right. I uplo- or I upgraded the build plate. Um, I upgraded and added a CR Touch Z probe so that I wouldn't have to mess with leveling every time. Um, Mm -hmm. changing the firmware on it. I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about, but there's so many firmwares out there that are awesome. So so many that that aren't though. Yeah, there are a lot of garbage ones too. Which is a big issue as well. Yeah, it's a big issue as well because people, 
um, like myself, kept putting firmwares on that everyone said was fine on like Reddit and stuff and they were so mm-hmm. shit and I didn't know what was wrong with my printer. But it was just yeah. the firmware. As soon as I got that, like someone sent me a good firmware on our Discord and it printed the most perfect print I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. So <sighs> I went to uh, the Creality website and I got the newest firmware and I put it on and that's all I had to do. And I haven't experimented with any firmware outside of it. Uh, it's worked great for me. Uh, I, d- I, I agree the Z probe was something that made life a lot easier because mm. like I was, you know, playing with the little knobs, adjusting it and like definitely mm. got a little too close on, uh, one of the, the test programs. Cause I was just like mm. playing around with it and it embedded, like if you watch anyone who's got an ender, they have all their prints are embedded into the build plate. And as soon as it looked like that, I took that build plate and I put it aside and I bought a brand new build plate because I was like, yeah. this shouldn't be like this. And then I did it again. Uh, <laughs> and then I, uh, so I went and got a PEI or PIE, whatever it is. PEI. 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 Yeah. 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 Well, in, so in Canada, we have a province <laughs> called PEI. So I was like, is it really the same as the province? But apparently <laughs> it is. I got a PEI build plate from this place that makes them in Toronto and uh, 3D Hub. And as soon as I got that, everything became just so much easier. Nothing, as soon as it cools down, you like touch the print and it pops off. Yep. And it used yeah. to be like, yeah. you'd have to like, you know, I never scraped because I, well, I scraped one of my build plates and I it looked like shit afterwards. And I was like, I'm never using this scraper ever again and threw it in the garbage. Right. But now I just like, I it, like if you have a tall one, you could just blow it over. You just go, <laughs> and it just yeah. like falls off the build plate. And you're like, this is a wonderful. Well, I was saying that with the um, the insert that I had to make for my microphone uh, arm, and I bumped it in mid-print, and I had to hold it there for five minutes while it finished the print because I my little touch and it ca- and it came off. Also, the <laughs> PEI, the one build plate I have, if it's not cool, it doesn't unstick. It's amazing. Right. So, so sometimes you're like, you're like, oh, I'm gonna, I'll wait till the print's done, and you know, it's like, oh, it's ninety nine percent. I'll just wait here so I can start the next one. And it's like, no. Well, this actually because I had a <laughs> come back um, in ten minutes. Is it a raft? Is the is it a raft that's the whole like it prints a whole yeah. sort of puddle for it to sit on? Yeah. Yeah. So I it actually broke off the top of that, not off the actual plate. Oh no! Because I've got a PEI plate as well. Okay. And the support gotcha. thing on the bottom. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Oh, I never use a raft. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about yeah. that? But that, that seems like a good segue to talk about the type of support you use. Um, because there's like a raft is like as if it's floating on top. So it's not connected yeah. to the build plate. I have never, ever used that. And I don't understand why you would. I generally use a skirt. Unless it's something um, fine like like that, um, I was like the, you, the insert was tall but really thin. So did I you used use a raft, raft or a brim, probably brim or a skirt because they're three different things. So a skirt, so a skirt is, is the one that just has a line on the outside, like a circle around. Yes, it. yeah, yeah. And then, and then a, brim is a, what's a brim? A brim, a brim is it takes that line and fills lines all the way into it, so it goes in a circle can like keeps going around yeah. until it hits the part. And basically there is a 
you know, a brim at the top of your thing. So if you're doing a really tall one, a brim makes sense. It'll yeah. connect it outside of it. Mm-hmm. A brim's also good if you're doing something nice and wide and you're afraid it's going to lift off the edges. Yeah. So brim. Uh, then. It'll, yeah. All right. I and then a brim. raft, yeah. a raft, it actually like builds a raft underneath it as the first layer. So yeah. the raft is connected and then it's connected to the raft. Right. So it's as if it's one layer up. So I think I did raft for the, the insert, but I usually do brim or skirt. Cool. Depending on what it is. Jesse, what do you do? Um, almost always skirt. Uh, mm. I don't know. I haven't really had any issues with adhesion. So the yeah. less amount of stuff that I have to remove at the end, the happier I am. Yeah. And I've, so I've watched a lot of different makers make things on 3D printers and they're often like, like jabbing screwdrivers into their support structure and talking about how great their 3D printing is and then (laughs) jabbing a screwdriver in it. And I just go, what are you doing? When I get done with, if I have supports to like, cause I needed a support, it was too big to whatever I'm printing. I can like generally just pop them out. Unless it's really big, but I I never have a problem with like support material being stuck on the inside. Uh, like it, it almost is as smooth as if it was on the build blade. But other yeah, people I, seem to have a lot of problems. I've definitely had problems, but I I honestly don't normally print things that require mm. any sort of. Uh, you know, Why? extra help <laughs> just because I I have had some issues with supports. Um, like I, I downloaded sort of a tool holder that is, you know, uh, compatible with the Ender 3 V2. And that one for the different tool holders, it had all sorts of support in them. And it was so tiny, you know, so I ended up going to uh, Amazon and buying like a set <laughs> of like craft knives so that I could cut through all of it and get it out because it wasn't coming out with any tool that I had at the time. Oh, wow. um, so I definitely, I need to learn more about supports and uh, how to actually use them well, because uh, I'm not doing that <laughs> right now at all. I was surprised at how much, so I started playing around with like how far can my printer go without a support? And I mm-hmm. was surprised at how far it can go. Especially yes. if you have, like, if you have a 45 degree, you can go infinite, like, without mm-hmm. support. It was amazing to me uh, how well it worked. And it was, it's really only across, like, flats that you really yeah. need support. Like, when I was yeah. making my uh, air hockey table thing, it's, a, like, it's such a complicated part that I had to split it into three. So, it didn't, and it needed supports everywhere. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I see a lot of people like talking about, oh, you know, my, my 3d printing is so great because I don't, this, this one didn't, I didn't need to use supports and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't really care if I use supports or not, but maybe I'm like in a minority. I feel it's like people like talking about, oh, I hand cut these dovetails. I didn't use a router. I hand cut these ones. And I'm like, who cares? There's, well, there's definitely like some pride because, you know, in 3d printing, there's only so much that you can sort of finagle to make things better. And so, yeah, I think that some people, it is a very big point of pride that they can print complex models without supports and they don't require a lot of like post-processing. 
But I don't know. I I personally would kind of really like to print something huge with tree supports, you know, just once to try it out because it looks really cool to me. And I do <clears throat> I do want to see how well it works. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I, I will say that I've seen some people who are like other dog designs once he's got his printer dialed in and he's been printing like I think his printer has been nonstop printing since he he owned it, other than the few times he's been at work and a print is finished. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and the his like the things that pop out of his printer and the way they look once they've popped out is insane. Like, they are ready to be displayed. And you don't even have to do anything. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I don't really – I guess everything I do is, like, functional – so the mm-hmm. the post processing, I'm like, does it like, do I need to glue two pieces together? Other than that, I'm good to go, right? Like, yeah, no, that's fair. I think that yeah, I definitely fall into that too. Everything has just had like one purpose. <laughs> it just needed <laughs> to be yeah functional. It didn't need to be pretty or anything. So yeah, I haven't, I definitely haven't spent a lot of time like tweaking um, my slicer settings or anything, even mm-hmm. though. I did fall down a rabbit hole um, a couple months ago on YouTube about slicer settings and checking out everyone's presets for PLA. Uh, I did get really sucked into that. But speaking of that, what slicer do y'all use? I use, what is this? Creality something. Oh, okay. So the standard Creality. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the standard Creality is Cura Slicer for those who don't know. Uh, it's just a branded Cura slicer that has yeah. some presets from Ender uh, and obviously is like a couple versions older because that's how you get branded. <laughs> if you want branded stuff of a, <laughs> uh, of a product, you can always get the newer non-branded version. Uh, I also use the Creality one because it, it's always worked for me. It's slow. There are like I know I could be printing faster if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But I generally like press a go print and go to work or go go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Like I actually have a um I actually have settings that I got off a guy on YouTube that prints ridiculously fast. Yeah, like, I depending I on what I'm printing, I'll switch between. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, what do you my, what do you um, use, Jesse? We so I use to- Prusa, Prusa Slicer. Oh, yeah. um, I I like the interface a lot more than Cura, and I feel like it has more options. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we, when we were talking about ironing in another episode recently, and y'all didn't know what that is, you know, like there's some stuff that is exclusive to Prusa, which I really like. Um, so yeah, I, I did use Cura at first, but. I don't know. I just didn't like it that much. It just, it crashed a lot for me. So I was like, I need to find something else. I've never had an issue with it. It might honestly be because I'm Mac. Yeah. Oh, right. That's your problem. Yeah. So it could be that problem. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure, but Prusa works beautifully on Mac. So yeah, I think I'm going to keep doing that one. Mm. Well, and I guess (laughs) this can kind of bring us to the next two questions I had which is, do y'all think you need 3D design experience to start 3D printing? I think technically no, but it definitely helps if you want to print your own custom stuff. But there are so many websites you can download prints from. Yeah. I would say it depends on what you want to 3D print. 
Yeah. Right? If you want a 3D printer to print off little knickknacks, no, you don't need any. Right? If you want a 3D printer to solve problems in your house, it is highly likely that you will need three, you know, at minimum yeah. Tinkercad level of design ability, but, you know, probably something a little more than that to in, like be able to design uh, an actual solution as opposed to just, you know, I don't know, doing something that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, I, I think someone I agree else with has that. the design. Mm-hmm. The only thing I think about though is that. Even so, you know, Thingiverse, Printables, uh, Cults 3D, what is the other, Thangs, like there there are a lot of like Mm -hmm. file repositories out there, but I guess the reason why I'm kind of happy I have a little bit of 3D design experience is that sometimes those files just don't work and require modifications. I think that's kind of one of the most frustrating parts about it is it all seems like it would be really easy and someone's already made it for you, but the file could be corrupted or, you know, like the G code that you get is real wonky and doesn't quite work with your machine. Like there are so many issues you can hit. And so I always wonder if someone doesn't have 3D design experience, would that just be like a a stop for them? I could not... Not in a million years will I ever download someone else's G code. Same. Unless that's the only thing available. And I really, 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 <laughs> really, really want that thing. Otherwise, like, yeah. I'm like, I, it takes two seconds to make my own G code with the slicer mm-hmm. and I, I can change around any of the parameters. Mm. Right. Like, I don't understand why anyone, like, I get why you might put, I put the G code when I upload to, to printables. Mm-hmm. Um, I put G code because it's a thing I can put in. I say I'm Andrew three with these, you know, settings or whatever, but I just don't understand someone who would download that and not the like STL or three MF file. Yeah. I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. Cause I definitely never really go like G code first. I did it twice at the very beginning for test prints, um, yeah. which I guess that's really the only useful case for me is yeah if it's like a test sprint you can grab someone's g-code and see how things go but yeah i don't think i would want to do that for just something random on thingiverse i'd rather look at the model and slice it myself see how it looks yeah Hmm. i I guess so talking about designing do y'all have preferred software for doing that well, even talking about designing and bring it into like downloading your own models oftentimes i'll download a model as a starting point for my design. So like if you guys are watching at home or watching this on YouTube, uh, I downloaded a a case for a GoPro camera and turned that into, I I cut it in half so that it fit over, like I could just shove my uh, GoPro into it and then added some like sticks on the, on the front of it. So it sits on my monitor. Right. So it just like sits nicely on my monitor, but I didn't want to design the whole like, contours of the GoPro case when I know someone else yeah. has already done it. Right. Yeah. So I do that too. <laughs> I, I, to, to bring it into what did I use to do that? I, I imported it all into fusion 360. Um, and I've, I've, since I took the, I like to make stuff, uh, you know, 3d, uh, not 3d fusion for fusion makers course. Yeah. It was since I took that, I've never looked at another software. Because I don't want to confuse myself by learning. Like, I don't use them enough to, uh, 
to warrant learning a whole bunch of different softwares. Like when I was in university, yeah. I did AutoCAD, but that was a long time ago. And I don't think I could design anything again in AutoCAD. <laughs> and then I, 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 I picked up SketchUp, but I don't know how I would use SketchUp to make the 3D models I make the way I make them in Fusion. What I really liked about Fusion is that the way you think you can do an operation that way, depending like depending on what it is. But if you want to make like a a different profile, if you go to the Bob's like the I like to make stuff course, they have a free section at the intro that shows like four different ways of making the same shape based on like one's a revolution, the other's like carving it. And like, it's just like four different ways of making the same thing based on how you think. And I went, this is how I, this works for me because I often think in ways that the software says, sorry, sorry, bud, you can't do that. (laughs) Oh, well, and that sounds really nice. Uh, I might have to look into that course. I'm checking it out right now. 120 is not bad, really. Um, but so if you I go become I a patron thinking, of oh, them, sorry. you can get a discount. Oh, okay, nice. If you go um, a patron of us, um, there's sorry, no discount. Yeah, we, we aren't fancy enough. <laughs> uh, I know that uh, Fusion 360 offers an official like learn mm-hmm. Fusion 360 in 90 minutes course. Oh, but wow. that one just didn't, I don't know, it seemed um, a lot more dry and not as. Mm-hmm you know, focusing on the different ways of thinking about how to do it. Um, it seems like it's more just one straight workflow instead of giving you options. So yeah, well, that's I the like thing. to make like, stuff one sounds better. Fusion 360 is not really made for makers or what we're trying to do. So that when they when they do courses of how to use a program and stuff, they're not thinking the same way that we think of what we're trying to build. And like mm-hmm. heaps of people use Fusion 360. I use Fusion 360 for everything as well. And like even for CNC work and stuff, it's not made for that. It has the ability to make the G code and stuff, but it's definitely not made to make the G code. Like it doesn't, the program doesn't run in the sense of um, not for a workflow to get, not for three D printing and not for CNC. Oh, for my CNC, it works wonderful. I it does, but it's not. It's it only for general tasks, really. Like there's no. There's no option to sort of do inlays or that sort of stuff. It's more of just making toolpaths. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think I can't say I've used it for that. I think maybe you you there's one, there's two things. There's there's different things that are available if you pay. And I don't mm. know if that's something that's available. And it's also there's a lot to fusion that if you don't know, you don't know. True. Yeah. yeah. There's so many extensions and plugins and like yeah, mm. so much stuff. Uh, hashtag not but yeah, sponsored. I, but. <laughs> yeah, hashtag not sponsored, though I work for the company. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I still mostly do everything in Tinkercad, and I sort of do the thing that you said, Grant, where if I'm thinking about something that I know someone else has already made, I will just mash up something in Tinkercad. Um, so, like, I made... THC stamps for cookies for Tyler's work. And I found an ergonomic handle on Thingiverse and then designed the stamp head and Tinkercad and just like, yeah, mushed them together. And it worked pretty good. Um, But now that I've had an intro to Fusion 360, I think I might start looking more at it because it 
to me, it feels more like drawing when you're starting, which is easier. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Tinkercad now, I don't know if anybody's heard, but they, we've got a new feature called cruising so that you basically like, you can just stack the shapes on top of each other. You're not dragging shapes into shapes anymore. So it makes it easier to get like good placement for everything. But I still think I probably need to um, update and be an adult and use Fusion 360. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. So I tried. There was one Instructables that had like a extra used Tinkercad to design this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a, there's an extra different prize. And I went, yeah, well. the judge's prize. Yeah, there's a judge's prize just for that. And I went, well, I designed it in Fusion. How hard could it be in Tinkercad? And I spent like an hour and I was like, this is stupid. And I just shut it down. And I went, this is not worth my time. I spent too long already to potentially win a prize in something that's like, I'm backwards designing something that I already had Mm -hmm. in the Fusion file, right? So I just uploaded the Fusion file. I still remember the first time that I started with Fusion 360 and I came from SketchUp as well. It was such a huge learning curve, I feel. And I thought... I actually thought Fusion was stupid. I thought, like, I could never get it to work right. Like, there's some things even now that just don't work. They're not as simple as they were in SketchUp and stuff, mm-hmm. and I never understood why. But I could never look back now. Like, I use Fusion for everything. Yeah. Like, I want to design. So I have a design of my house in SketchUp. I want to now design my entire house in Fusion because yeah. now Fusion makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh-huh. And SketchUp doesn't. I can't use SketchUp again. I tried to go back into it. That's my buddy, like for that transmission piece that I that we printed. He designed it in SketchUp and sent it to me. So I had to like re-download SketchUp. You know, it's really frustrating. And then I had to take that and then I had to export it and then I put it into Fusion so that I could use it. Because yeah. <laughs> I couldn't like I was just like, this is no good. I can't do I can't use SketchUp again. I don't understand what's happening here. And so Yeah. <laughs> SketchUp yeah. is another one that I used like twice and then just never went back to. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. It sort of felt like a mix between Fusion and like Corel Draw. So I was just really lost and not quite sure how to use it. So, yeah. I felt it was a lot more like AutoCAD mm-hmm. than Fusion. And that could Fusion's probably be why I was like, like oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> like so, my sister... Like- have I told y'all that my sister is a drafter? Like, no. she she got that job I think last year, and she exclusively uses AutoCAD. And she sends me and my mom stuff all the time. Like, she mm. made drawings of her house and all this stuff. And she's always talking about AutoCAD and how it works and what she's making with it. And I'm always just like, I don't know. I don't know anything. This is crazy. Yeah, I think you can do anything in. AutoCAD, I think. That's I think you what can it design sounds like. Anything. But I don't think it's the easiest. Like, and that's the same. Like, there are things that are easier in every program. So if something's working for you, it, it's probably good to stick with it. Mm-hmm. I just felt like SketchUp wasn't designed for 3D printing. And since that's what we're talking about and the accessibility of it, right? Like I found like if I wanted to modify anything in SketchUp from a like an STL file, impossible. I don't even think you can, right? Like, So I guess the last little thing I wanted to talk about is uh, 3D printing services. 
One of the big things that I got out of the Survivor uh, 3D printing cheating discussion is that not only do people think that printers are crazy expensive, they just don't know of any other ways to get parts manufactured. Hmm. Uh, So I sort of wanted to talk through the different ways that people can do that. Um, There are a ton of companies now online. Back in the day, like a decade ago, there was probably like three of them. But there are so many manufacturing companies. And even some of the PCB manufacturers are also offering 3D printing services now. So that's pretty neat because that way, you know, you can get everything for your project from one company, which is pretty awesome. Um, But so I wanted to give a few examples Uh, ones that either I have used or I know that people have used are Shapeways, iMaterialize, and Hubs. Those are all really Mm -hmm. good, but the problem with the print manufacturers, they, uh, they need a lot of information from you. So I guess if you're not super, uh, knowledgeable about 3D printing, you might not have the right information for them, or you might have designed it in a way that it's going to print completely off scale. So there can be a lot of back and forth with that. Um, and it, it can take a while. Some of the companies will be backed out and it'll be like, it'll be a month before you get your print. So there's some definite downsides, but it's gotten a lot cheaper than it used to be. And there are even companies now offering metal and ceramic printing, which I think Mm is awesome because it would be so nice to like send something in and have it come back and have like a piece of jewelry that's totally done. So I kind of want to try that at some point. I could not imagine had, like not having a 3D printer and sending it out to be printed, right? Could not understanding how they work. Like I could get, yeah. you may not like have uh, one that has the capacity or the can't do the material you want, but not even if you don't understand how 3D printers work. And we've only talked about, what is it? FDM ones, basically. Yeah. There's also resin 3D printing. Yeah. There's all the other types and how they work backwards and stuff like that. But you know, thinking about it and I just go, I couldn't imagine trying to have a conversation with someone about this is my design and never having 3D printed, trying to get someone else to 3D print it. Yeah. Yeah. That that was my biggest question because I always see people sort of wreck in the comments on Instructables. They're always like, how do I get this? How do I get the parts? I don't have a 3D printer. And people always recommend like a specific service. But then, yeah, I'm left there sitting going, but do they know? what to tell the service, how to communicate with them about what they need. And that's where I always get stuck. So yeah, maybe that is not really even something that people would do. (laughs) I'm not sure. Uh, But I guess there are also a lot of places that you can just buy 3D prints from. Like they have blown up on Etsy. Etsy has become a treasure trove of crap STL prints (laughs) that... Uh, you can buy for like five to twenty dollars. So I mean, that's I, also an option. I was option. wondering, have you seen? Because I haven't seen it because I've never looked. But is there a place where you can like, you know, like Morley was doing these three D printed repairs mm-hmm. uh, for strangers? Like he's doing that. Like, is there a place where you can like submit online a broken piece or I w- I need this design to fit these specs? And they'll design it and 3D print it for you? Do you know of anything like that? Oh, that's something I haven't heard of. But now I'm very curious if it actually exists. So, yeah, if anybody knows of one, tell us. Because 
That's that's like actually be a lot of, idea. I feel like there'd be a lot of um I don't know what the back word would be, but like not back and forth, but like if you if you don't measure your part properly and they they go off your spec, like who's at fault there and what I feel like there'd be a lot right. of like people being like, I told you what I need and you didn't print me the right thing. Yeah, well that's anyone who does any CNC manufacturing for anyone. Like if you yeah, give true. me a spec, like if you don't understand how to do the specs, it becomes a problem. Like this is why mm-hmm. like in the there's always a middleman between the person doing the actual job and the person who's taught like that person talks to the customer so that the people doing the job don't have to. It's because the person who talks to the customer understands both people. Right? It was like yeah. the the guy in office uh in the movie. The movie Office was the office space where he was like, well, I talk to the customers so that the engineers don't have to. Right. And (laughs) he made his job seem like they made his job seem completely and utterly meaningless. But in reality, without him, they would probably not be able to do anything because most programmers can't. Wow. Not all like there's a lot of people can't don't understand the lingo of the other world they're not in, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if you don't understand the world that they're operating in, there's so much terminology and understanding and what do you mean by this and all that, that people will just take assumptions and or measure things wrong or the deliverables aren't what they mean and there's no clarification on what you need, Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. yeah. So I started searching (laughs) after you asked – if there are people to do it. And I'm finding a lot of people on Etsy who are advertising professional 3D printing services. But I think those folks are more, uh, give me a link to an SCL and I'll just, I'll do it for you. Like this guy that I'm looking at, it's $40 per hour uh, for design work if you don't have a file. Oh, that's pretty so good. So maybe, but yeah, it's, I guess like Etsy and Fiverr might be <laughs> good places to look for stuff like that. But I do wonder how hard it would be to kind of go back and forth with someone to get something. Not sure. Yeah. I think um, a point we also didn't make is like people always just assume like, assume, I don't know if that's the right word. But like that you're just 3D printing a finished sort of project of like that's what you want. Whereas not just like 3D printing tools to help you with your process. Right. Like a lot of people make or a prototype. Um, yeah, yeah, prototyping. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people make stamps for like stamping into like leather. Mm-hmm. Like leather keychains and Yeah, definitely. We this doesn't seem like a good time to do that, but uh because we haven't talked about makerspaces. Uh, <laughs> but thanks for trying. Thanks for trying I'm to get trying a to move us on. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna be, I, I okay. don't want to move on. Now. I'm going to be honest. Little, yeah. Just quickly. We, I can cut this out. Um, I'm going to be honest. I came home sick from work today and I felt fine. Like after I had a sleep and I'm quietly dying. So I'm trying to oh. get us to move on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll quickly talk about makerspaces. <laughs> Um, because I think it's really important to talk about, like, l- there's a lot of libraries have 3D printers. Mm-hmm. A lot of schools yeah. have 3D printers. Yep. When we're talking about accessibility and how accessible 3D printing is, I think it's really important to highlight the fact that if you're looking, you can find it. Now, they're not mm-hmm. available yet in, like, Home Depot. 
you know, aisle 22 is the 3D printing aisle. But if you go to a computer store, like I went to when I got my laptop, I got new RAM for my laptop. They had 3D printers and filament on the shelf. Yeah. And the filament was the same price as Amazon. So it's like, do I support Amazon or go to my local place? And of Mm -hmm. course, uh, Amazon delivers. I'm sorry. (laughs) But uh, that's one thing I wanted to talk about is if if you want to find it, it's like anything. If you start looking, you'll understand. But a lot of people make assumptions, right? And that's Mm -hmm. that whole accessibility problem is, is people make assumptions about whether or not like when people look at the tools in my garage, they go, "Oh my god, that's how do you have a how do you have a forge?" I'm like, "The forge is the cheapest." Like you're looking around, the forge <laughs> is the cheapest one of all the tools that I have in my garage. Like, why are you? Why is the forge the thing that everyone's so amazed by? Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and I I think I have a very sort of uh, sunny outlook on 3D printing because yeah, I. I work for the Tinkercad social media channels. And so I see so many teachers who have kids in elementary school who are 3D printing stuff that they've designed. And that just amazes me. That Can you imagine doing that in school? (laughs) I just, it blows my mind that now kids are actually learning 3D design, 3D printing, along with other stuff. I just, right. I don't know. It's I, really amazing to me, and it makes me so excited to see it. I remember we all had iMacs. We remember, like, the different colored iMacs? Mm-hmm. We, that was our school got all of them two years after they were released, but they finally were able to requisition them, and we got <laughs> them all. And I hated them because the, the mouse was a single, big, giant, yeah. clicky thing. I fucking hated it. <laughs> you know what I don't hate? Our patrons. Patrons. You're right. Uh, I especially want to thank our F-Clamp level patrons, uh, Vincent Ferrari from Digitally Creative, Scott from Dad It Yourself DIY, Joe Herdina, Rich from Lauren Designs, David Wood from DW Woodbuilds, and everyone else who supports us there. They Everyone gets access to the pre-show, after-show. Uh, we also have a Discord now that is uh, up and running and has a patron-only thing where we do a monthly hangout, as well as a leather stamped uh keychain that we use 3d printing to make this keychain uh you can find out everything about that at patreon.com slash clamp uh and you can go there for fun recommendations all right my recommendation for this week is going to be steve from that pen bloke on instagram um he's a local aussie makes pens they're really really cool really nice nice Uh, So mine is another horror thing, as always. (laughs) Uh, This week, I would like to recommend the Evolution of Horror podcast. The host, Mike, is a pleasure to listen to. He's so great. He has on a lot of, like... um, female guests also, which Mm. I get really excited about, ladies talking about horror. Uh, But yeah, it's sort of one of my newer comfort shows that I listen to when I'm doing everything, even sleeping. So yeah, I really enjoy it and uh, you should check it out. They have a bunch of different seasons of different themes in horror. So there's probably something for everyone on there. Unless you don't like horror. Unless you don't like horror. And then what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) Well, so I got to recommend uh, that everyone go and if you're going to be 3D printing, the PLA that I have personally had good luck with is Polymaker Pro. I have tried a bunch of different ones 
And the Polymaker Pro is the stuff that I have had good luck with when it comes to PLA, um, which is the standard uh, stuff that most people uh, mm-hmm. print in. But I'll I'll say don't cheap out. This is my yeah. like wisdom yeah. advice. I I went cheap one time and I was like, wow, that's a great deal. And uh, every single print looked like absolute garbage. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a hard so, lesson to learn for sure. Well, it wasn't that hard. It was a single roll <laughs> of cheap, and I went cheap, so it wasn't that wasn't that expensive. But I could see someone like, oh, I'm really into 3D printing and ordering like 30 rolls of different colors because they're so cheap. Mm. And now you have 30 rolls of plastic that's just going to end up in the ocean. Uh, so don't yeah. do that. Our Ask Us Anything this week is from Austin from High Caliber Craftsman. His question is, what is your pain threshold uh, where you instantly buy something? And when he talks about pain threshold, he's talking about how much money or time where you instantly buy something where you have to think about it in reference to how much it costs. So often when I'm thinking about this, I think about like a workbench. It's like there's a pain threshold for that because I go, I don't, I don't have a lot of time. And you can get such cheap like toolboxes that are just like with wood tops on them for like they go on sale for like four hundred dollars. You're like it's going to be three hundred dollars worth of plywood to make this, or I can get a metal box with all the drawer slides and everything built into it. Oh, it's really hard to think. What should I do? Um, so I I often look at it like my pain threshold is: Do I want to make this? And that's it. I don't. If I want to make it, I don't buy it. That's it. I don't. I don't care if it costs more. I don't look at the money. I go. Do I want to make this? Yes or no. If I want to make it, I just buy it. Now, if I can't afford to buy it, and I don't want to make it, that that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, I guess I kind of fall under that too. But then I also uh, am still living like I'm in poverty, <laughs> so I have. I like always question. I I think probably. $200 it like anything below $200 I feel okay like making a very quick decision but mm. when it gets a little higher it's always for me a question of how often am I going to use this what is this actually going to do for like I don't know my well-being oh. <laughs> my life like how is this going to improve things for me uh, yeah I have to spend a lot of time sort of talking about uh, am I actually going to utilize it? Is it really worth it? Um, just because I've been out of the shop for so long, I think also. Mm. I definitely I think a lot. Oh, sorry, go. I was going to say, I didn't think about the question that way, but it totally makes more sense the way you're answering it than the way I answered it. <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah, that like that number is still like completely dependent on what it is. If it's a new mm-hmm. thing I'm getting into, the number's super low. Like I bought a $35 Amazon kit for leather working. I was like, I'll try that out. And I'm still using it to this day. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you could buy really like you could buy $200 kit and it would probably be a much nicer kit, but I still, I, I keep that number super low. Um, and then I'll also like go out and spend a lot of money on something I definitely don't need and instantly buy it. Like I don't, the price, the price tag doesn't mean anything at all to me for some reason, for some things I'm broken. I'm a broken individual. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think about 
what it is and what I'm how much I'm going to use it. Like I've been needing to buy a rattle gun for years, but I just can't bring myself to do it because how often do I really take a wheel off a car? Right. Yeah, whereas something like a nail gun that I would use back when I was woodworking a lot, I'd use daily. I'd happily spend $200, $300. There's definitely yeah, like a, a false point. economy that that people don't realize. Like an air riveter, they can be like $80. But if you installed yeah. more than 10 rivets, it is worth it 100% of the time, every time. Buy one. If you're doing more than 10 rivets, do it. They're so much better. Yeah. All right. Well, I oh, want to thank TF Turning. What? I was just looking at no. them up. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They're really cool. Uh, I want to thank TF Turning for the theme song. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find us all collectively on the Clampcast on all the different social media. And until next time, cheers and have a great day. Bye. Yeah.